Well, good morning again. Glad to see everybody here this morning. Um, if you are a guest or first time here, if you don't know who I am, my name is Trevor. I'm pastor here, and I want you to know that we are very glad to have you here and glad that you chose to come and worship with us here this morning. But um, we'll get right into this. But before we really do, I want to say something. Um, as we start, that next Sunday we're going to have uh, something special happen. If you haven't been around or haven't been here on certain weeks, uh, we had a couple people that came forward, and we're going to have a baptism next Sunday. Absolutely. So I don't know about any of you, but I'm looking forward to it because I love those days. I mean, it, it really is amazing what God can and, and continuously does do in our lives. So when we have opportunities such as these, such as this Sunday or next Sunday, we're going to have some baptisms, we should be a little more joyful, I think. Because two reasons. One, we get to worship God for a something different, something new, something that we see that he's still doing. That I would like to assume at least most of us here probably have been baptized, probably remember when that was for you. And that's still happening today. We, again, we, we don't get God's leftover grace. He's shown us something new. Now we get to see another generation indulge in that grace. And the second reason is, I do believe this firmly, that it makes the devil mad. And I think that's a good thing. He doesn't like those kind of days. Because it's more of a realization that he lost. Amen to that. So I hope to see you there. Come join with us next week and we will celebrate some baptisms. But uh, this morning anyway, we're going to continue our, our way through the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 2. We're going to look at just a few short verses here this morning, uh, verses 13 through 17. And I want to set this up a bit, just in case you, you haven't been here or you weren't here maybe last week, because we started the new chapter last week. Um, Jesus had just performed his first public miracle. Um, essentially, he took a common substance, something that all of us have probably either used or drank or did something with even today. I have a bottle of it right here. That wasn't on purpose. I just happened to want some water, but hey, it worked out that I could show you that. That's all it was. But he took something common and made it into something uncommon. He took something and changed it. And we saw also that Jesus doesn't just give us the leftovers, but we get what is the best. We don't have to worry about getting the, the scraps falling from the table, but we get all of what Jesus says that he's going to give us, all the grace, all the mercy, the same that each one of you get, I get, and the same that I get, each one of you get. We don't have to portion it up or, or take just one slice of the pie. We get the whole pie. Rah. Yeah, and I like pie, so that's good. But we get the best. We don't have to get the little bits. We don't have to scrape the bottom of the jar, but we get all the grace. We get abundance. We get overflowing grace. And that's stunningly amazing, at least to me it is. But again, it kind of brings us up to page where we are now. So I hope that you're there. I hope that you found it. John chapter 2, just a few verses, 13 through 17. Follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 13. 
The Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So as we really start here, um, I do want to point something out. That verse 13 here, the, the very first thing is it, is it opens up that the Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Um, this was normal. This is just what Jewish people at that time, this is what they did. Nothing crazy about this. All the believers around, all the people in the area, if you worshipped God, you were going to make this trip. So this was just normal. Because Passover was kind of the big one for them. Um, if you look at like what our calendar, the stuff that we typically celebrate, Passover to them would have been like Christmas and Easter and like 4th July all in one thing. That would have been like the big one. If, you, if this was America, that's what it would have been like. Because it was a big deal. So they were going to do this trip. Again, Jews from all over the world would have been going, for, going to Jerusalem because the Passover was coming. It would have been known that they were coming to the temple. And I'm not just saying this just to ramble. It's part of what sets all this up because it's important to understand why these things were actually happening. And then we're going to see what happens afterwards. We're going to see what follows. And what we're going to look at today stems from the fact that people knew that people were coming. And they saw an opportunity, so they decided to start running with it. They decided they were going to use this opportunity to their advantage. Maybe make a little pocket change. Make a little something extra. But anyway, when Jesus gets there, what does he see? Jesus makes this trip all the way to Jerusalem, and he's going to go, because again, this is what you did. This was worship. This is what we're supposed to be doing. So Jesus gets there, and he sees all these people selling stuff. They see the money changes, coins, exchanging money back and forth. So I want to be clear on this, though. Those things aren't inherently bad. There was not really an issue, probably not at the beginning anyway, with these things happening. Like we said here, we saw this just a minute ago. There were people from all over the whole countryside. I mean, it is miles and miles and miles away coming to do this. So it wouldn't have been the easiest thing in the world to, you know, bring your oxen, right? To travel a couple hundred miles with your oxen. I don't even want to travel a couple hundred miles with my kids, <laughs> let alone bring in all these things to sacrifice. I'm getting some stares right now. But anywho, so, yeah. So, this was there for a reason. So, if I don't want to bring these things with me, because it would have been hard, if any of you have never been to the Middle East, or if maybe look at some kind of desert region, it's you don't want to drag more than you have to through these regions, through this area. So, it wasn't bad. It would have been for a good reason that they 
were able to sell these products here. So they were going to get them when they arrived. I don't want to have to travel with them, so we're going to have it set up so we can do our sacrifices, we can do these things when we get to Jerusalem. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all. They had to change their money out as well. Because the, the money that they brought wouldn't have been any good at the temple. Because you have to pay a temple tax. Every year you have to go on usually Passover, and they would have had to have paid the temple tax. That's what kept you know, the temple lights on, right? They had to do these things. That's what the Jewish law was about. We had to pay that every time. So if I pulled out a coin from my homeland and I wanted to give it to you guys for the temple tax, and it had some kind of image that could have been misconstrued as a uh, this is an idol of any kind, it wasn't any good. So you had to have the money changers. You had to have somebody sitting over here, it's like, I'll give you my my dollar and you give me you know, your temple dollar, you know, kind of like Chuck E. Cheese or something, and you go there, and then you can get what you needed to get. It was a good thing. They were, it was good that they were there because these things had to happen because you couldn't put, you know, bad money into the temple coffee. So it was good. It, it, it wasn't inherently bad to begin with. But there was a problem. In actuality, they were there for good, offering a service. But the problem became twofold. There were two main issues with what ended up happening, how things came about. First and foremost, this was causing an, is an issue. It was a hindrance to worship. It was hindering the what of why the temple was there. Because we go to temple, the same we come to this building and gather as the church, to do what? To party? No. To buy things? No. We come to worship God, right? That's the main and the plain. Jesus said that they were turning my father's house into a marketplace. And if you know anything about marketplaces, they were busy. There were, they were loud. There was commotion. There was hustle and bustle. All these things. If it was constantly noisy with, with a thousand people just out here in the hallway, would we be able to do what we're doing now? I mean, no. I mean, we could try, but you would miss part. I would get distracted. It wouldn't work. It, it, I mean, it just wouldn't. So that became what was happening and not the worship. It became too much about anything else and not the worship of God. Secondly, they seized an opportunity. Again, they knew people were coming. The people that had these animals, these money changers, they knew what was going down. They knew all these people were going to be coming to Jerusalem so that, so that they could worship on the Passover, right? So they seized an opportunity. They knew that they were going to need to buy these things. They knew that they needed to change the money. So they would charge large fees to do so. They would take advantage of what they knew was going to happen. And this goes to show how easily things like this can happen. How quickly we can fall into a certain way of thinking. And how fast we can take something that was inherently good and make it inherently bad. And We're good at that though. Aren't we good at that? Aren't we good at taking something that is good and abusing it to a situation and making it bad? 
Humans are pretty good at that. I think that's one of the things I think as a group, as a society, we got that one figured out. We know how to do that one. We take something and that's supposed to help somebody and we use it for our own gain. And what's the response? What does Jesus do here? He does take swiss and decisive action. But I want to make sure that we understand something. We have to understand the difference between reacting and responding. Because there is a big difference. Because I will say this. Did not react to these happenings. He responded. He took his time. It was calculated. He knew exactly what he was doing. It wasn't some kind of knee-jerk reaction where he just got mad. Ah! Get out! You know, it, it, it wasn't. Not even close. Again, he took his time. Something that did not just happen in the heat of the moment. An emotional uproar where he lost his temper. That's what we would have done. But what we see is a calculated plan. And I say that because of what is written, how it's written. It says that he made a whip of cords. Has anybody ever done that before? You can't just do that in like five, six seconds. It's going to take a second. It's going to take a little bit. Most people think it probably took them roughly anywhere from a half an hour to an hour and a half to make this whip of cords. So not only was he not emotionally upset and, and, and disturbed the way I know I would have been, but he also was calm enough to do this to where you, you are winding and, and, and tying and, and nodding these cords so that you can make a whip that is strong enough to be able to withstand what he's about to do with it. It was calculated. He knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't just see a whip and grab it. He went out and took the time to actually make one. And then with said whip, he took that and he drove all of them out. The, the people, the animals, everything. He flipped over the tables and he dumped out the money changers' coins. His righteous indignation was unmistakable. What was intended for good, again, here in the temple was being used for evil. For evil and Jesus was flat out not going to have it. I want to read you something because it's it's good and, and I like it. If you've never heard of him, that's you, you're, you're probably not alone. Most people haven't. He's not a super big theologian, but he wrote this. His name is Richard Linsky. He says this: the stern and holy Christ, the indignant, mighty Messiah. The messenger of the covenant of whom it is written, he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness, is not agreeable to those who only want a soft and sweet Christ. But John's record here portrays the fiery zeal of Jesus, which came with such sudden and tremendous effectiveness that before this unknown man, who had no further authority than his own person and word, this crowd of traitors and changers who thought they were fully within their rights when conducting their business in the temple courts fled pell-mell like a lot of naughty boys. I, I, personally, I think he nailed it. 
The worship of God is not something that we can just simply be cavalier about. I mean, we don't get that option. Because when that happens, these things will become a hindrance to us. Even to the point to where it blinds us to where we don't even see it. I think that's important to, to understand. And not just our neighbor or that one person that we've been praying for, but for ourselves. It can happen to us as well. It will become about everything that it shouldn't be. And again, aren't you glad that we have this? I mean, really? Do we have a record of what God wants from us? Wants for us? How we should be doing things? I mean, don't get me wrong. No, not a one of us in here follow this thing to a T. I mean, we mess up. Which is, again, why we're here. But isn't it nice to know that we can have essentially the, the rule book? To know why? To know the how? And especially to know the who? I think it's important. He gave us this so that we can know Him. So that we may not fall into all these traps. Because if we don't have this, how are we supposed to know that we, we shouldn't have done these things? I mean, it's pretty simple. The same snares that drive us away from God. Another one, and just another one of the million reasons why it's important to know what the Bible says. Not simply listen to me because I happen to be up here and have a microphone and you can hear me, but what does the Bible actually say? Because we're all going to have our opinions, and there's a really good chance that most of our opinions are at least partly, if not mostly, wrong. But you have those opinions because you think you're right. I mean, that's fine. That's, you wouldn't have an opinion if you didn't think it was right. But the problem is, we don't ask ourselves to say, hey, look at the Bible. Does it mesh up with what the Bible actually says? And that's what we need to do. Because if our opinion differs with what it says here, we have to change our opinions. I mean, plain and simple. It's important to read and to know what the Bible says. And we have to go at it not with a preconceived notion of what we want to get from it because we're going to read into it all day long simply so that we can get out of it something that I want. And again, create a band around myself so that I can have that Jesus that I've created in my head that I like not the one that I need. And then John points this one out here. That the disciples said that they remembered something. They said that they remembered something. And that's important. Verse 17, And his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. And I'll say this. that They couldn't remember if they didn't know what it said before. Could you remember a verse that you've never read if I asked you about it? No. Could I remember a verse that, that you asked me about if I've never read it? See how these things work together? We need to be in God's Word. We can't know who the God of the universe is, the lover and the Savior of our souls, unless we know what He has said about Himself. And if we're not in that, we have made a fake Jesus. There's a lot of people, churches, that are gathering right now who are not worshiping the same Jesus that me and you are worshiping. 
That is super sad. I mean, that's heartbreaking. Because they think they're doing so much. They think they're doing so good, but all they're doing is making a nice paved pathway that leads straight to hell. Got to make it feel good on the way down. That's all they're doing. But they remembered Psalm 69.9, zeal for you will consume me. Not only are these prophets or these Disciples seeing prophecy unfold, but they are seeing the Messiah. God come to earth. God in the flesh. They are watching Him have this passion, this zeal for real and true and pure worship. And I believe that this is a big deal for Jesus, that this was His Father's house. And shouldn't we be like Jesus? Isn't that what we're called to do? Isn't that what the literal word of Christian means? I mean, maybe we can take a page out of his book. Should we not have zeal for real and true worship? Again, this was his father's house. He felt the pain of what was going on. In John 14.10, Jesus says this, Don't you know that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? He knew what the Father thought of this. He knew what He thought of this. The th- these things happening in this place was m- that was meant for worship. And they're taking it and they're turning it into something that's quite simply garbage. They're taking something again that was good and simply using it for personal gain. Again, easy traps to fall into. It's easy to fall into these ditches when at the bottom it looks like gold. But when you get down there, it's just somebody spilt some orange juice. And now it's dirty and you can't even drink it. Our eyes get big when we want to see something. And if we really want it, our brains will tell ourselves that, yes, that can be good. Go ahead. Go for it. The opportunity was there. You should have taken it. Simply because we're greedy and selfish. But again, there will be times when we quite simply don't get what we want. There will be times when the feathers will get ruffled. And there will be times when the tables will need to be flipped. There will be. And this is what happens. The tables will get flipped. Our feathers will get ruffled. Is when we make it about everything but the worship of God. This is what happens when we make it about the wrong thing. When we make worship about anything but Jesus. When we make praise about anything but the Father, this is what will happen. It can happen quickly and it can happen subtly. And when this happens, we must realize what happened. What really happened. Because it's important. And when we do start to see these things and we come back to the heart of the worship, 
right? And we say, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I've done. Please forgive me. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I have made important in my life. I'm sorry, Lord, will you please forgive me that I have made my worship when we gather as a saints about everything but you. I think we're all guilty of that. But are all of us willing to admit that that happens? I hope so. When we see Jesus for who he is, it will change our lives forever. From the inside out, it doesn't mean we're not going to mess up. It doesn't mean that we're going to have stray thoughts. It doesn't mean that you're not going to fall asleep listening to the preacher talk. But it, it should. It's okay. But it should change you. And when it does, simply own it. When you mess up, own it. It's yours. You messed up. You own it. I messed up. It's mine. Own it. And say, Lord, I'm sorry that I took advantage of a situation. Lord, help me. Change me because it's me. Lord, you didn't run away. You didn't put up the wall. It was me who ran away. It was me who put up the wall. Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've made it when it's all about you, Jesus. And if we can't say that, we're going to be in the same situation where we, we are the money changers and we're the ones selling the oxen and we're the ones selling all these things and we're going to have our tables flipped. And, and I don't want my table flipped. I don't think they appreciated it, but they needed it. And sometimes when we have to go through the fire, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable to be put into the fiery furnace, but it's needed. So when we make it about anything but Jesus, see it. Open our eyes and see what we're really, really doing. Father, again, we thank you for everything that you do, for who it is that you are. Lord, I do pray that you would forgive us when we make it about anything but you. When we become selfish. When we become greedy. Lord, open our eyes to see the mistakes we've made, the sin that we're in. That we've taken something that is good and we've now used it for evil. Lord, help us to see with these things. Help us to know that the path we're on is maybe not always the right path. And Lord, when we are on the right path, help us to stay there. Lord, when our faith is small, give us big faith. Help us. Because we are like lost sheep in need of a shepherd. Again, Lord, we thank you for everything that you do. Lord, we're grateful for all that you do. And Lord, we love you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.